recorded live in the Lava Lamp Lounge. It's somewhere in between a radio zine. News, music, culture, stories, and more. This show is what we make of it, and hopefully you'll join us in the fun, too. Now let's get started. And welcome to our second pilot, episode 0.2, another coat of polish. In the interest of trying to establish new and better habits, I decided that in this year, it made a lot of sense to try to start reading more. Not that I don't read, and not that reading isn't something that's interesting to me. In fact, it's very interesting to me. I probably read every day, um, quite a bit, actually, now that I think about it, considering most of the internet and text messages are all reading-based. Uh, and yet, the real problem that I was suffering from is that I felt like I was constantly reading and not reading anything I wanted to. I have boxes and boxes of comic books. I have a huge bookshelf. I worked at a bookstore for 10 years. <laughs> I grew up in my mom's bookstore. I have so much stuff to read. And yet, most nights I, I find myself not reading. There's some show that I'm plowing through or some website I'm trying to decipher, some manual for some new pedal that I really desperately want to use. I, I don't read for fun. Not nearly as much as I used to. And for someone who did get an English degree, there was a several-year span where all I did all day every day was read so that I could finish my assigned reading for the class that I had to go to tomorrow to discuss whatever it was we were discussing so I could go back home and read more for another class. So the part of me that hasn't been reading lately is really off its game. It has kind of felt like it for a while now. So I did what any big boy decides to do when confronted with the truth. I decided to not say anything and not make a New Year's resolution about it. I had this weird adult notion that I'd been entertaining recently that the idea of throwing out a resolution, this huge embodying thing that you'd want to change about the coming year, uh, was starting to feel a little childish. <laughs> it was evoking these moments when I was in the fourth grade and I would make these long, elaborate lists that then I would want to show off to my parents and my siblings, only to find that they could care less about what my goals were and that they were struggling with their own things. <sighs> Slow realizations when you are young. But the point being, I, I don't think a resolution actually works the way we think it does. And 
this time around, I just had this feeling in my head. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm just going to not say anything, but do it. Yeah, that'll that'll really show people that I mean it, that I'm serious. That'll really establish the whole kind of like, yeah, check out my resolution. I didn't even say I'm doing it, and <laughs> check me out. <sighs> Sometimes the ego does get in the way of everything, doesn't it? Nonetheless, I decided to pick something that I had been wanting to read, something that I knew about, something that I actually had read in other genres and forms and mediums, and yet had never actually approached the source material. And so uh, when it came to my new attempt at getting back into reading, I picked the age-old classic series of Barsoom novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs featuring the Civil War-era character John Carter. <laughs> now, this might seem like a maybe silly or uh, out-of-left-field choice, and, and, and actually, I have to admit, it totally is in a lot of ways. I mean, it's not a popular series of books now. Uh, it's not exactly something that... Even science fiction nerds tend to rally around. Uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs himself uh, probably wrote some stuff that was better loved uh, with other characters. I'm thinking Tarzan. But uh, nonetheless, uh, I decided, for whatever reason, uh, that this was important to me. And, uh, yeah... A book written over 100 years ago was going to be the way that I was going to get back into reading in the year 2020. So I did the thing that all people do these days. I loaded up my e-reader. I found audio versions of them that I could listen to. And I decided to dig into these books that were written by a person who was born in the 1800s. <laughs> and I will admit, this was actually a very difficult project. I mean, I don't read the way I used to. Uh, I don't think any of us do. And uh, the notion of sitting down for long periods of time and staring at text was actually very daunting. I mean, we live in the modern era. We are constantly staring at text. We're constantly absorbing text. That's, that's not the weird part about it. But there is a certain, oh, Teflon nature, I guess, to the words that we read these days. They're not meant to stick. They, uh, they don't, actually. There's no little hook in there that kind of grabs that brain cell and really gets in there. In fact... I think the idea is that this stuff is just going to bounce off of us, that uh, we are so inundated with this barrage of words from every direction that the hope is that none of it actually sticks, that it just kind of comes in, that we absorb what we need, do whatever we need to do with that tiny bit of information, and then let it completely zip out. And unfortunately, that's been my relationship with reading for a while now. I've become, oh gosh, this is going to sound super pretentious, a podcast guy. I basically listen to talk radio all day long. <laughs> 
And, you know, I, I enjoy it. I, I feel informed. I feel like I, I get a lot of entertainment out of it. And, and there's even some dramas that I listen to in that medium. But, uh, yeah. What was the last book I read? Please don't ask. So, I thought I would split the difference and use some audiobooks and reinforce it with glancing at the text on screens. And uh, even that was a very difficult proposition for me. False starts here and there. I would get into something and then completely lose track of the story, rewind, reread, flip back. What was going on again? It took me most of the month to get through three 100-year-old books, which is basically the equivalent of one modern novel. And uh, yeah, it, it felt like a chore. It felt hard. It was difficult. I kept having to remind myself, okay, now, which ones are these? These particular red Martians or the green Martians? Who's at war with who? Wait. Now there's a white Martian, too? And black ones? Okay, hold on a second. There's a geopolitical thing here that I need to refresh. <sighs> it was like that for page after page after page. And, you know, the writing style... Yes, a 100-year-old writing style isn't quite like most things that we read today. And so uh, this first-person narrative of a fighting Virginian who really enjoys the heat of battle, uh, it took a little while to kind of get into that mode. Well, suffice it to say, I managed to get through, and, you know, I actually liked them. An interesting byproduct of this is that I didn't think I wasn't going to like reading. I, I've always enjoyed it. But there was something about the project, the task, the actually sitting down to enjoy a narrative story that felt so frivolous. It was very hard for me to actually want to do it. I kept coming up with excuses for, oh, I shouldn't be reading now, or yeah, if I'm going to enjoy something, I might as well watch a show that's only an hour. On and on. I had all these things that were actually like resulting in me not reading in spite of me wanting to do it. And this was a perfect example. I struggled through this entire thing to read these three books, and I enjoyed the story. I keep thinking about them. They're certainly not, like, fleeting. It's not bouncing off of my mind like some sort of weird tweet that I just encountered somehow. These books are staying with me. So the project was a success. And yet, I'm left wondering... Why was it so hard? And why am I avoiding the fourth book? More news from Office Life. In the interest of trying to continue this pattern of self-improvement against my own better judgment, I was trying to figure out how I could be better organized. Now, this is probably something a lot of us are running into. You found yourself being late to 
appointments. Uh, you're having trouble keeping track of appointments. Uh, you want to meet up with friends, but every time you do, you, it's a day that you realize at the last minute, oh, wait, today is uh, the day that I actually have to drive to Corvallis because I have that weird coffee appointment that's once a month with one of my mentors from work. Anyway, it's a long story. The point is, uh, I think a lot of us reach this phase in our lives where we uh, we have trouble keeping track of what we need to do. And uh, this certainly shifted from me between college and life after college. And I think one of the reasons why is the phone. Uh, certainly, when I was in college, I was writing things down. I had a paper calendar planner, just like a lot of people did. And I was using index cards to help beef up that system and, well, you know, keep track of other stuff. And so writing things down was certainly the way that I approached all of this stuff in those days. Then the phone came along, and I started putting my appointments in the calendar, and I started using the notes to keep track of my little handwritten things. And... Yeah, there was a lot of reasons why to do it, and I was getting the benefit of all of those things. Don't get me wrong. But let's fast forward 10-plus years, and here I am now, and I feel like I keep getting late to things again, and I'm, I'm having trouble remembering how to find my appointments, and my uh, uh, reminders aren't going off at the right time, and something wasn't quite adding up. And I realized very quickly that a system I liked, a system that I enjoyed, and a system that worked was a planner, an old-fashioned paper planner with pages where I could write down the dates and when things were happening. And I could use all sorts of little checklists on the bottom to say like, oh, hey, don't forget this week you have to put out the recycling and not just the garbage and uh, oh yeah that uh, 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 twice a month doctor's appointment is coming up and I, I can see it in front of me laid out on a paper calendar that I can flip through and there was something about that that not only changed the way that I was interacting with appointments and places that I needed to be but it, it actually made it a little bit fun <laughs> I don't know. There's something about poking around in my phone these days, looking for reminders and trying to set appointments and whatnot that is starting to feel tedious. <laughs> and I'm just, I don't know. Th this really sparked something in me. And so uh, I wanted to sing the, the praises and the joys of using a paper calendar again. And, and the best part about this is is something that you can make yourself. You can find that like, creative energy that you were trying to put into something and, and put it into this. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of different ways that you can do this. Uh, you know, I, I myself uh, enjoy making my planner like it was a little zine. And then I can uh, really, you know, design it the way I specifically want. And it's actually gone through a, a few iterations already since I've re-implemented the... Um, the calendar. I, f I finally put it into a binder because I found that having a, a, a in a binder actually was more beneficial to uh, me being able to write stuff down and all that kind of stuff. I also found that having printed things for where the dates and the days of the week were 
so that I could write stuff around that actually made more sense for me because then I could see those printed things as kind of like the uh, hard landscape of my calendar and all the written stuff are my notes. Uh, so anyway, uh, I wanted to uh, suggest that uh, maybe for a project that uh, everybody go home and make a planner. Now, the best part about this is that you can make a one-week planner or even a two-day planner, whatever makes the most sense for you, to try it out, to see if you enjoy it. You know, you can take a piece of paper, fold it in half. You have the outer two pages are your covers, and the interior are your planner days. And uh you can expand and add to that as needed. But the two-day version kind of gives you a sense of, one, how it would work in front of you uh, and whether or not you like it. And uh, two, give you a sense of how easy it is to design. I mean, really, you can make it as complicated or simple as you would like. And I think that's the other appealing part about it is that it's very difficult to make an app on your phone more simple, but it is very easy to make a paper planner very simple. An excerpt from Whamma, etc. by Flan O'Brien from The Best of Miles. Book Handling. A visit that I paid to the house of a newly married friend the other day set me thinking. My friend is a man of great wealth and vulgarity. When he had set about buying bedstands, tables, chairs, and whatnot, it occurred to him to buy also a library. Whether he can read or not, I do not know, but some savage faculty for observation told him that most respectable and estimable people usually had a lot of books in their houses. So he bought several bookcases and paid some rascally middleman to stuff them with all manner of new books, some of them very costly volumes on the subject of French landscape painting. I noticed on my visit that not one of them had ever been opened or touched, and remarked the fact. When I get settled down properly, said the fool, I'll have to catch up on my reading. This is what set me thinking. Why should a wealthy person like this be put to the trouble of pretending to read at all? Why not a professional book handler to go in and suitably maul his library for so much per shelf? Such a person, if properly qualified, could make a fortune. Dog ears for a penny. Let me explain exactly what I mean. The wares in a bookshop look completely unread. On the other hand, a schoolboy's Latin dictionary looks read to the point of tatters. You know that the dictionary has been opened and scanned perhaps a million times, and if you did not know that there was such a thing as a box on the ear, you would conclude that the boy is crazy about Latin and cannot bear to be away from his dictionary. Similarly with our non-brow who wants his friends to infer from a glancing around his house that he is a highbrow. He buys an enormous book on the Russian ballet, written possibly in the language of that distant but beautiful land. Our problem is to alter the book in a reasonably short time so that anybody looking at it will conclude that its owner has practically lived supped and slept with it for many months. You can, if you like, talk about designing a machine driven by a small but efficient petrol motor that would read any book in five minutes, the equivalent of five years or ten years of reading being obtained by merely turning a knob. This, however, is the cheap soulless approach of the times we now live in. 
No machine can do the same work as the soft human fingers. The trained and experienced book handler is the only real solution of this contemporary social problem. What does he do? How does he work? What would he charge? How many types of handling would there be? These questions and many more I will answer next time. The World of Books Yes, this question of book handling. The other day I had a word to say about the necessity for the professional book handler, a person who will maul the books of illiterate but wealthy upstarts so that the books will look as if they have been read and reread by their owners. How many uses of mauling would there be? Without giving the matter much thought, I should say four. Supposing an experienced handler is asked to quote for the handling of one shelf of books four feet in length, he should quote thus under four heads. Popular handling. Each volume to be well and truly handled, four leaves in each to be dog-eared, and a tram ticket, cloakroom docket, or other comparable article inserted in each as a forgotten bookmark. Say, one pound, seven shillings, six pence. Five percent discount for civil servants. Premier handling. Each volume to be thoroughly handled, eight leaves in each to be dog-eared, a suitable passage in not less than 25 volumes to be underlined in red pencil, and a leaflet in French on the works of Victor Hugo to be inserted as a forgotten bookmark in each. Say, two pounds, 17 shillings, six pence, 5% discount for literary university students, civil servants, and lady social workers. I started a joke Started the whole world crying But I couldn't see That the joke was on me I started to cry Started the whole world laughing If I
And that's going to do it for us this week here on the program. Something in between a radio zine. A pilot episode. Episode 0.2. Contained stories written by Austin Rich and Ryan O'Brien. Including New Reading Resolution, DIY Planner, and an excerpt from Whamma, etc. This episode was produced by Austin Rich in the Lava Lamp Lounge and was assembled using only the finest in 20th century technology. In the long-standing tradition of most zines, there is an open submission policy here. If you have a story that you'd like to send in, read, or just be a part of the show, why not drop a line to austinrich at gmail.com. That's going to do it for us this week. You guys are wonderful. You guys are beautiful. Without you, there would be no program. Be seeing you. Oh